Welcome to the Psych NP Cast, a podcast made specifically for psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners and their peers. You're about to enjoy, be educated, and entertained about your profession. Just remember, folks, the views you hear on this show are those of our amazing guests. Always validate what you do through your best practice guidelines and patient care standards. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, everybody. Let's get to the show indeed, indeed, indeed. I'm your host, Ed Stern, and this is another episode of Psych NP Cast, the podcast for psychiatric nurse practitioners and their peers to learn, to have fun, to listen, and to think. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you for continuing to listen and download the shows. If you haven't already done so, don't forget to use that subscribe button in your podcast player so that these episodes automatically download so that they're available for you. Today's episode is an interesting one. Today we're interviewing Rochelle Perry. Rochelle is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner like many of us, and she is somebody who's going to spend some time talking to us about long-acting injectables. But it's a little bit of a different approach. For starters, we're going to talk about long-acting injectables from the standpoint of an outpatient setting. And she's also going to share with us some of her personal insights as the mother of a patient who receives LAIs. Now, in deference to her son, you'll notice a few times in this episode that we've bleeped out her son's name. And that's, of course, to respect privacy. So let's take it away. Rochelle, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Rochelle Perry. I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner. I've been practicing for almost 10 years and um, graduated in 2012. The primary um, place that I've been practicing is outpatient. Uh, Most recently, I was in a federally qualified healthcare center, which sees anybody, doesn't turn anybody away, regardless of their ability to pay or um, their immigration status. And so um, consequently would often have a heavy caseload of patients with an SPMI or severe and persistent mental illness. And, you know, I just want to share that the one of the reasons that I went into uh, psychiatry is we have a now 29-year-old son who um, has had some mental health challenges for, I mean, since he was young. And it started out with ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder. Um, By 16, 17, full manic um, episodes, the true manic, not sleeping, paranoid, watching out the window, um, not, not, but, not a mom's version of no, of, no, of this manic, is yeah. true manic, manic. <laughs> and, and this is before I was in psych. So this oh. is like, we were just like baptized by fire into the oh behavioral health field, starting from age six on up. Um, and so we had some really good providers, you know, whether they were social workers, mm-hmm. therapists, and we had some not so good providers and, um, and my background is ER, ICU. And so by the time was um, like after after he was, I, I want to say, quote unquote, stabilized, because this is a lifelong mm-hmm. diagnosis, right? So 
But once he was doing better and out of the acute, then that's when I realized, um, I guess I never knew there was a psychiatric NP um, role. And so I pursued my education through Rush, Rush University out of Chicago. Mm. And so he is now 28. Um, he is still struggles up and down. And, and I've, you know, as part of the blogs that we belong to, there's other family members that have moms, dads, brothers, sisters that struggle. And it's, it's just really a challenge to navigate that role of being a parent um, and, and really wanting them to be healthy and be better. And unfortunately for substances got involved too, but, and, and, but that's not, that's not, alone idea. I mean, a lot of people struggling with severe mental illness have um, substance use struggles. So when I was practicing and he, he was on Abilify, um, oral Abilify was one of his meds, but that, that alone was challenging, I guess, even before let's, I'm going to backtrack to being a mom. Um, that power struggle of, did you take your meds? Did you take Mm -hmm. your meds? You know, here, here's your med, you know, it's this constant power struggle and it really, it really affects your relationship as a parent child. Um, And it, it it was life-saving when Abilify, which he would take on occasion, not every day and, Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he's 18, 19, and he wants to be independent, and he doesn't want somebody telling him what to do. And um, so then part of it is I'm not going to take it if my mom wants me to take it or my dad. And um, <laughs> sure. I mean, it's just yeah. it's so complex. And um, when he was, I think he was 20 when Abilify came out in the injection form, and I uh, contacted his psychiatrist who was practicing for years and he'd never, you know, had, had anybody on the long acting injectable of Abilify. So he contacted the rep and we got Jake on it and, and it was life-changing because no longer, you know, yes, I'm still a mom and I'll say, Hey, your injections do. And, you know, Hey, you want to think about getting an appointment with your psychiatrist so that you can get more refills, but it takes out that complete power struggle and it's been life-changing. Yeah, it's not a doubt. I, I mean, I, I would think, and I do absolutely want to talk to you about, you know, about the LAIs and, and everything, but I mean, I think the important thing too for us as practitioners is to understand that really what we're, what we're dealing with is, is the same challenge any, you know, when we're presented with a parent like yourself, right? Mm-hmm. They're dealing with chronic illness. It's the same as when you have a, teenager who's you know an insulin dependent diabetic and you know and the teenager wants to go out and wants to party and wants to be a normal teenager and yet has this you know this thing looming over them and and today right those those what we used to call brittle brittle diabetics Mm -hmm. right you know they're they're the ones who have you know the fancy pumps and the fancy monitoring systems and they're getting a basal rate and you know and they're better able to maintain and manage their their sugars and you know that that parental element if they want can even remotely monitor you know what they're doing i mean it's so it's we have to remember that this is chronic illness and as our 
medication options progress, we have to think of new and creative ways to use them because we're not only helping the patient, we're helping the parent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The family. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I could imagine that that daily struggle, I mean, other than just what you're dealing with, you know, with, with your son's mental illness and, and mental state in general, but the daily struggle and the, you know, the challenges of, you know, is this behavior change just because they're a moody teenager or is this mm -hmm. a behavior change because they didn't take their, you know, their morning meds or their evening meds is, you know, has to just be overwhelming for somebody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, we're, we're on the other side of adolescence, at least, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry that you had to, you had to go through all of that. Do you have any advice for us in the profession for how to work with parents and, and sort of help them, you know, help, help give them the relief that they need? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it opens a whole quagmire because of HIPAA, right? Um, sure. You know, we can't talk to our adult patients' parents unless they um, give a, a sign of release. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would say when you first meet um, someone who's struggling with, uh, you know, even if it's major depression, schizoaffective, schizophrenia, ask them if they are willing to sign a release at the beginning, you know, before it's critical. Um, right. right. And, and I, I try to keep that in mind um, when I'm, when I'm working with um, patients that if, if they will sign that release ahead of time and I will share that I'm not, I'm only going to use it if I need to, or, um, you know, kind of eliminate that triangulation, but more as a team, you know, presented as a team. Um, and I've had a lot of um, people. Yeah. I mean, when they're acutely psychotic and paranoid, no, it's not no, going to happen, sure, right? Sure. But then I share with parents that I can always, family, um, husband, wife, I can always take information. I, I can't give any information. So mm -hmm. they at least know that they can write a letter. I'm not, I mean, I can't even really, if you really get into the nuts and bolts of HIPAA, it, it kind of is a barrier. But if you follow it, if no, it's about portability it, and it's about, you know, it's about transparency and consistency of care, of course. Right, right. Um, yeah. Lawyers. Yeah. But we can always take information um, mm -hmm. that can be helpful in, in making our decisions. And, and I would say as a clinician, I am more apt on an initial assessment even to plant the seed that these meds come in a long acting injectable. Um, yeah. And it's once a month, you know, some, you know, some are every two months. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Vega Trinza, which I haven't used in a really long time is every three. Yep. Um, but the planting the seed, you know, some of them are like, really, I've been on this medicine for, you know, 15 years. Nobody's ever told me that. And so just having that opportunity, I've had young, you know, like say, I'd say mid twenties, late twenties, um, female come in and she stopped, start Abilify or whatever antipsychotic she was. She happened to be on Abilify. Um, and she knows when she takes her meds, she does better. She's involved in therapy. Her therapist has helped her to, um, identify that pattern that she does better when she's on medicines. And so when she came to see me the first time to get back on medicines and we talked about Abilify, 
because she had been stabilized on that before um, as an injection, she jumped on board and then she would come in, get her shot every four weeks. Um, it was life changing for her. Yeah. Yeah. I actually met a, um, nursing student who was on, um, in Vega, the, th you know, the long acting three mm -hmm. month had progressed to that. And, um, I mean, obvious for obvious reasons, she didn't have enough nice things and amazing things she could say about, you know, the, the dramatic change in her life. Mm -hmm. You know, she's since graduated from nursing school. She's, you know, she's passed her NCLEX. Um, you know, she has bad days, but you know, um, if it weren't for, you know, the long acting injectable, she, you know, she, as much as she understood scientifically how much she needed her medication, it's, you know, it's just like the, the, the mood and the, and the mental changes get in the way of the logic mm -hmm. of, of taking the med. It's not always willful non-compliance right. you know, there's, there's the, the, there's the mental factors and the, the paranoia and so many other things that kind of, you know, that, that get in somebody's way of being willing to pop a pill in their mouth every day. Well, and if you look at studies there, you know, for schizophrenia, anywhere from 31 to 81 percent non-adherent to their medicines over time. Bipolar, um, I think it's 40 to 60. So the kind of the mid range for schizophrenia is 50 percent if you took all the studies together. And it's about 40 for bipolar. Um, and, and if you think yeah. about it, every psychotic break that a patient has, it does long-term damage to the brain. And so if we can reduce the amount of episodes of psychotic episodes mm -hmm. or um, decompensation, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, no, it's a valid point. And it, uh, you know, it's not only the, <clears throat> the cellular damage, I think it's, you know, it's how it impacts their, their ability to support themselves, mm -hmm. how it impacts their ability to maintain relationships, friendships, it, you know, so many other things, right? If we can keep them on, you know, if we can keep them on an even, even path, then, you know, all the better for, for them Absolutely. along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think how another, long, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. No, no go ahead. another piece is, you know, um, there's, there's a like transient homelessness and, mm -hmm. and, you know, like, and, and if you, you know, where are you going to keep your meds if you're oral meds and they're going to get stolen? Are you going to have, if you just have a backpack, are you going to, you know, I mean, just the, mm -hmm. to navigate all that in an injection that, that becomes mute. I mean, there are challenges to get the injection. And so sometimes there's act teams that will go in. Um, and I think sometimes as clinicians, that's the barrier to, to utilizing them. Um, so, and in, in because we see Minnesota. it as a more, uh, you know, for, we see it as for only valuable for the sicker of, of the sick. Is that what you mean? I think some of the barriers that, um, providers may think about and have to overcome are who is going to give the medication? How are you going to get the medication? Um, is it going to be, where is it going to be stored? A lot of those logistics. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And so yeah. when I was um, at an outpatient clinic, um, you know, most of them don't need to be refrigerated. They just need to be room temperature. Mm -hmm. um, so we would have a locked area. And um, 
I would just give them that, you know, you just have to have the supplies. Most of the supplies come um, with the exception of gloves and alcohol wipes um, with the kit. Yeah. It comes yeah, they come with, with needles and everything and already. Oh, so, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. when you order it, we would order from a, you know, in Minnesota, we use Genoa, which I think they have them um, throughout because they're a, a, a pharmacy that was meant to help with mental health, um, mental health patients be stabilized. So they'll just mail it to the office. So if you just have, and so the the injection would be, the prescription would be mailed to us and we'd hold it and then they would come for their appointment. So that was all pretty slick. You know, there's other states that will have um, pharmacies that can, the pharmacist can give the injection. So that's slick. Minnesota's working mm -hmm. on that. Um, so I, you'd have to look at your state. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was, pretty easy to navigate making sure that you were able to do this. Um, sure. Yeah. I, I, and so I'm not quite sure what other some, um, what other fears or barriers um, providers might be worried about. Um, but yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I would think that the issue, right. Is, but what's, what's in the best interest of the patient and, and how, or if, based on, you know, state laws, mm -hmm. board of pharmacy regs and everything else, you know, how can it best be done? And, you know, can you still provide ex the exceptional care that you provide, even if you're in a, you know, small independently owned and right. operated practice, um, you know, and, and do it safely. It's a matter of just, you know, knowing what the regulations are for mm -hmm. getting rid of sharps and, you know, and, and knowing what the regulations are for obtaining and storing, you know, storing a medication. And if it's shelf stable, you know, um, that's great. And I think you're right. Organizations like Genoa, I know that there's other pharmacy, you know, uh, pharmacies in different states. Um, in Maryland, there's one called Terrapin, for example, you know, that they can make sure that they get delivered. They're, they're charging it off to, you know, mm -hmm. to the patient's insurance. So, you know, you, you know, your only issue is, is if they, you know, if they fail to show up now, you've got, you know, you've got a med and, you know, you work on managing that return or, or, or right. just not, you know, and, and appropriate disposal, which is relatively low impact in comparison to the, you know, the benefit I of the outcome. I would say that you bring up a point that kind of, um, that we had to research some, some very small number in Minnesota, the Medicaid, um, we have PMAPs and then we have mm -hmm. a very small, that's a fee for service and they require a buy-in bill. So like the clinic has to buy the med, they're expensive and then bill. We never had to do that. We always went through the insurance, their um, prescription covered. So mm. I, I would want to give the message that you, you don't have to buy the med and then bill the insurance because that's putting money up front, right? Um, and that would be yeah, yeah. risky, um, but I've, I've never had to do that mm -hmm. with the patients that I've served in Minnesota. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really valid point, you know, being able to provide that kind of care and, and not to overextend yourself as a, you know, as an organization right. or an entity, very important. Yeah. Um. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's, um, that's great. Uh, have you found like from your clinical practice, what have you found have been 
other benefits of you know the LAI versus a, a short act? Yeah, um, I like having the patient come in every month to just touch base, get the mm-hmm. injection. If they were doing really well, I might do. Let's have a an appointment with me. I'll give you the the shot, um, and then next month you'll just come in for the nurse, and she'll give the injection. Um, and that way you can bill as long as the provider is um, present in the office, there's a, a, a nurse only visit quote. It, it doesn't pay as much as the provider, but mm-hmm. they can be doing it. Um, and and so they kind of graduate to, you know, not seeing me as much, but we always get their eyes on them. My nurse can eyes on them, make sure they have what they, that they're doing. Okay. If there's any concerns, she can, she or he can um, bring it to, to my attention on that off month. Yeah, well, it's, it's a valid point. Um, and I would think, and I wonder, obviously I wouldn't swear to this, but I would think with the, the newer updated bill codes, I mean, even if you did see mm-hmm. the patient for a 15 minute visit, just a simple 15 minute, 15 minute appointment, you're seeing them, you're giving the injection. Um, you know, it's not like they have to, you know, right. get a gown oh. on or anything for, you know, for, for no. the injectable. Um, you know, some of them are yeah. depending upon which one they exactly. are. Some of them are deltoids. Some of them are, you know, ventral, you know, ventral gluteal, but it's, you know, it's pretty low impact and goodness as nurses, mm-hmm. all of us <laughs> should know how, should, should at least remember how to give an IM injection. Um, you know, and, and you, like you said, you're getting an opportunity to see them every 30 days or 90 days if they're on the, you know, the longest acting and, you know, see how they're doing. And if they're not coming in, you follow up, but it's, it's a more beneficial follow-up process than, than somebody who, you know, as, as you were saying before, may or may not have lost their meds because they're homeless may or may not have lost or thrown out their meds in a moment of moment of paranoia and, and not been comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, revealing Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't, I know some providers, have strong feelings about drug reps. Um, I, I, I am open to drug reps specifically related to the long acting because they will provide you with samples that you can keep in your office and you can catch somebody when, you know, if somebody comes in and they need to get back on their meds and you say, Hey, you know, I know you've been on Abilify or, you know, in Vega, if they've been on Risperdal and they've tolerated it before, you can use that because it's a metabolite of Risperdal. Um, or spare them, but mm-hmm. um, so yeah, they'll be yeah. I'll I can use a sample, and then by the next time that they see me, you know, it might need a prior ask so a little bit. But you can catch them in the moment when they want to go forward with this um, treatment intervention. Well, that's a phenomenal point. I mean, really, what you're doing is you're giving yourself 30 days to you know do your prior auths, get you know do the arguing fighting or whatever mm-hmm. that might be needed. Um, and, and you've helped stabilize the patient. Yeah, to keep them yeah. safe. It's a great, yeah. it's a great um, option to have that med available in the moment. And, um, and I've mm-hmm. experienced with, especially with the long acting injectables, of course they're in it for the money. I, I'm not naive to that, but I also know that they, the ones that I've worked with, they're, they're, they want to get the patient feeling better too. And so they're, they've got an advocacy 
um, component to to their presentation. And so it's it, it it hasn't been unpleasant, I guess I will use. It's been a very pleasant mm-hmm. interactions with the representatives that have, um, you know, Aristata is uh, an Abilify um, aripiprazole metabolite. And so if they've been on Abilify or aripiprazole in the past, you can just give the Aristata because you know they're not allergic to it. Yeah. And yeah. that's an every 60 yep. days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. And I, I mean, my experience with reps, I think has also been that they're, they're a good resource mm-hmm. at times. I think it depends upon the personality of the, of the rep and, you know, what they're being pressured to do and, you know, on their route, but they can sometimes be a good resource for hints and tips about working with yeah. the prior auth or, you know, here there's this, you know, there's this state program or there's this, this, you know, discount program. And, you know, here's other ways, because as you said, right, their goal is just to make sure that they have, you know, they have a, well, admittedly right. a big enough customer base, but, um, you know, and, and the, the way they're going to do that, especially for this population is, is help right. remove the barrier. And I always say, take what I take, what I want and I leave the rest. So <laughs> Whatever they're doing, you know, like a sales pitch, I'll just like, you know, but That's if right. you want me, if you, if I need data, I can ask to speak to their medical liaison, who's a science mm-hmm. um, based person and they can talk off label. So. Right. Yeah. I and mean, that's, that's a valid point, right? They're going to be the ones who are going to have the ready, mm-hmm. the ready resources and, and. I mean, I think the medical community as a whole, especially the larger corporations, you know, they kind of went, they pushed a lot of medical rep stuff Mm -hmm. completely away. And um, right when it was becoming an ethical conversation and, you know, it's even in those large organizations, it's starting to come back. You may not be able to accept a pen, (laughs) but, but you can definitely accept education and information about the product. Um, you know, I mean, I still, I still know some organizations that, you know, that have those very rigid rules. I can't take your pads, can't take your post-it notes, even though, or, or your pens, mm-hmm. even though they're really cool, but you know, um, you know, help, help, help me get my right. patient on this medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. What other, um, insights or wisdoms do you, you know, would you like to share about LA? <laughs> LIAs, listen to me, LAIs. <laughs> no, I was really intrigued um, when you had requested, you know, potential topics for your podcast, because mm-hmm. um, I, I am a lot, I'm a big advocate of the long acting injectables. And I just wanted to share uh, my experience as um, someone who loves who happens to be my son, but loves a, a family member um, that struggles, and and it's it's been life changing, and and also my um, experience as a clinician and prescribing the long acting injectables and offering them, and of course, I never push it. I just make them aware of it. And if you mm-hmm. want to have a conversation in the future, just let me know. I mean, it's it's there as an option. Um, but yeah, some are just absolutely no, no, I don't want a needle. I don't want to get a shot. And like, that's, that's okay. That, you know, we want right. them to have agency to mm-hmm. be able to act and make independent dis- decisions. And if the decision is not an LAI, great, you know, whatever works for them. But 
at least they are an informed consumer and can make the best decision for themselves. So I think what I hear you advocating for is, is we should start these conversations. If we're going to put somebody on, you know, on a second gen antipsychotic or something that we should be having the conversation about the benefits of an LAI as early in the process mm-hmm. as possible so that we can, you know, w- when we finally find the magic that is working orally, um, that, you know, they've already been educated, they've already been informed and, and they've had an opportunity to, you know, yes, to consider. Absolutely. And I love too, what you said about the fact that there are, you know, there are patients that you've kind of sounds like you've taken over from, from other providers and you've put the long acting injectable concept on the, on the table for them. And they're like, wait, what, this, Mm -hmm. is (laughs) this, this is really an option all all this time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I was reading, I just wanted to share, I was reading like, um, in a study, like 8% of, um, Oh, I'd have to look at the, the providers offer long acting um, compared to 40% in Europe. So the United States doesn't use wow. long acting as much as other countries use it in their treatment. And and so really what's, what, what's different, like what's different between the United States and Europe. It, it would be interesting to, um, to figure that piece out. I think just well, one is one is probably clearly the how does how complicated is it to get it paid likely, for? I think I would likely, yeah, always right? about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I think, and and you made a really good point. Is is you know, I mean, I think a lot of people make the assumption that you're going to have to, you know, you as the clinic are going to have to shell it out, or you know, and. and you know, and you've got this, you've got this large administrative burden all of a sudden, but it sounds like in a lot of places possibly that it's not really as big a burden as we, right, we might make right. it out to be. And I did find, yeah, especially for the shelf stable ones. I mean, I could certainly see, you know, if it's something that's got to be refrigerated, I could see the complexity of that because now you need a med fridge and now you need monitoring of the temperature, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're dealing with these, you know, shelf stable yeah. products that you really just have to you know, yeah, absolutely. Rock a little, rock a little yep, bit and yep. inject. You know? And I did, I found yeah. that I just, yeah. so I don't want to be, I don't want to be stating stats that aren't accurate. So it's so 8% of those with psychosis being prescribed long acting injectables in the United States compared to 40% in Europe. So 8% of those with hmm. active psychosis are getting long acting injectables in the United States, 40% in, in Europe. So that's, that's the stat that I was trying to remember. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, but we supposedly provide the best care. Right? <laughs> that's a whole other topic. <laughs> a whole other conversation. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's a valid point. So I think, you know, it's probably behooves us to, you know, to if we're in our own practice, you know, it's one thing if we're, you know, in a group practice to spend some time talking about what would the logistics look like of, of bringing in, you know, one or, or more long acting solutions and, um, you know, right. Just put a pilot program together right. and, just start and with see. One. You, you, know, you don't have to be, no. yeah, you don't have no. to be a mobile act team 
to, exactly. to be doing LAIs exactly. is, is what Just I hear you start saying. start with one patient and then yeah. see how, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't want to use the word easy, but user-friendly, you know, it, it, the process is, it, 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 it's amazing the change that it, it um, helps the, the patients and their families. Yeah. Maybe we see how, how possible it is to make, you know, to, to provide, you know, efficient and effective care. And uh, I think that that's, you know, that's a great mm-hmm. point, right? Start with mm-hmm. one, right? Exactly. Baby steps and pick, pick somebody who you think would be, you know, amenable to it. Pick somebody who has the highest potential for benefit from it and, you know, has, has an insurance that would be willing to accept it, right? Don't, why, why pick the hardest one? Right. You know, as as your pilot, that's not necessary. Right? Just because they're the one who needs it the most may not be the best person to to choose. And as, I would say pilot. I'm an experiential yeah. learner. And so if you if you're like me and you're an experiential, <laughs> I mean, that first time that somebody comes back and they're stabilized, and you know, it's not going to be miraculous in the first month. But then they start holding a job and they start having more relationships. I mean, that's what recovery is about. Recovery is not just the absence of psychosis or psychotic symptoms it's it's the presence of in um, being engaged in the community having relationships with people you know and and if work is part of it doing work or volunteer whatever they identify it's not just the absence of any type of psychotic symptom yeah (laughs) it's very true i don't know that i have much more to add to that i think yeah Uh, i mean i laughed at the concept of experiential learner because i think that that you know that might be just you know the true epitome of the kind of, you know, kind of learner I am. Let's see what happens if I do this. <laughs> and then you get the positive reinforcement. Right. Expand. Right. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's the way I learned how to, how to take pictures as a kid. I think I took a camera apart and then put it back together. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what happens, <laughs> you know, you're fine until you have that exactly. one extra piece left over. Um <laughs> experiential it's a separate <laughs> podcast um, <laughs> that's great um do you find that uh you know you do you have a lot of of, of your own patients on on lais that, that you're doing with in cooperation yeah, with the nurse um, the i would say at any given time because again it, it was like a federally qualified healthcare center so a lot of times, sure. um, you know, the patients would struggle with a lot of social determinants of health, which is like transportation, housing, um, food scarcity. Mm-hmm. And so there, it, it wasn't a clinic where I would necessarily have people for years and years because maybe they would move. But at any given time, I would probably have like 15, right, right. 16 people of my panel that were on long acting injectables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Any, any negative pitfalls or anything that you've experienced um, that, you know, are experiential learning opportunities for the audience? Yeah. um, You know, I would say the one kind of challenge is if you start missing appointments and then you're worried because now they don't have the oral med, but, um, and and Mm -hmm. we can, we're not an ACT team, but we can make those efforts to try to call and just say, hey, can we get you rescheduled? Um, but it, and mm-hmm. even in that case, it's it's just 
it's their journey and we can offer all we all we can do is offer the treatment plans and if they choose not to come in to get their injections anymore and now maybe off medications um i mean they have a right to do it as much as we don't want that to be the choice they make and 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 again with my son who you know he he has a right to you know, go three months without his injection and, and doesn't need a mom hounding him down, but just calling and saying, Hey, like, Oh, so for my son, he, you know, he has a mom who's a nurse and I can give the injection. Right. So not very often do you, right, do you let right. family members do it, but his providers always do. Cause they sure. understand that I'm a nurse. And I just say, Hey, I, I have your injection. I can come meet you and give it to you. And, you know, for a while, he's like, okay, I'll do it for 20 bucks. No, I'm not going to pay you. It's, it's, uh, this is for your health, but I will take you out to dinner. And so, yeah. So there it's, you go. It's, it's, yeah. You just have to be creative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. I don't see no, us taking our patients out for dinner, only. but I think it's right. It's <laughs> right. It's your but son. The meaning, yeah. <laughs> but the, I guess the message is, whether it's my son or a patient, they still get to make their own choices, mm-hmm. right? Even if the consequences mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. we will. know are going to be bad. It's hard to watch, but yeah. they do still get to make those decisions. No, and, and, and all the more power, for, power to them for being successful with, you mm-hmm. know, with giving it a try. And, and if, they come, if they come for their monthly injectable every two months or three months, they're, you know, they're, they're still yeah. doing something, um, you know, for, for their mental health and trying to help them, yeah. you know, with their overall absolutely. health and well-being. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also too, I think, right. Wouldn't it be important for us to make sure that, you know, we're not adding, right. The, especially with, with the SGAs and, and everything else, right. There, there's just so oh, much stigma absolutely. around them. And, you know, is the stigma also, increase because we're saying, well, you know, we're putting you on, we think of the LAIs for the patients who, you know, this is the last ditch because you, you just, you're not able to be or not willing to be, you know, compliant, you know, with, with, with your medication regime, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, I think of the nurse who I know who, you know, who's on it. It has nothing to do with not willing to be compliant. It has to do with that. This is, you know, this is biologically mm-hmm. more stable, right? You're not getting as many ebbs and flows as your, you know, based on, on how your gut flora is working on a given day, you know, um, you're, you know, and it's easier and it's, it's when you're, when you're having those, those manic days or the, you know, the hallucination days that are a little bit stronger, you're, you know, you're, if your paranoia is such, or your mania is such that you're not thinking about meds, right. you're just not forgetting it. Well, and if you think about you know, stigma, yeah. And you think, you know, if some of our patients have been hospitalized and usually an injection mm-hmm. in the hospital means that it's a chemical restraint, right? And so they've already attached yes, that yes, injection. Absolutely. Yeah, it's exactly. A punishment. Yeah. So it's really reframing that. So because that's a barrier for sometimes for them to, to take the injection because they think back to their experience, whether they had to have you know a b52 injected into them or they witnessed it um 
And so, yeah, it's, it's yeah. six months huge. And, and so reframing how we even present the long acting injectable is really important in destigmatizing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's about, can, you know, so we're, I mean, what is, what is it that you see the, the message benefit? It's, you know, it's convenience, it's stability. It's, um, you know, on days that your stomach's not, not, doing as well, you know, you don't have to worry about that mm-hmm. in your bloodstream. I mean, I, I'm guessing that oh, that's absolutely. the approach you take yeah. other than, you know, you tend to forget your meds. Right. So we should go to an right. injectable. Or you, or, yeah. or you can normalize to forgetting, right? Like, because not, is it just mm. someone with bipolar or schizophrenia that, for, I mean, I get antibiotics and it's three times a day and I don't always take it three times a day, nor do I do the full 10 days. And it's not because <laughs> I don't want to. It's because it's hard to, and, and it's, and normalize that it, that it, this is not because you can't take your meds correctly. Right. This, this is human to, right. Right. you know, to, to miss a dose here and there. And so mm-hmm. let's just make it easier. If we can make it easier, let's just make it easier. Yeah. Well, that sold me now. If I can only get a long acting injectable yeah. for my blood pressure meds, I'd be yeah. good. You know. <laughs> My my only option for that is just you know can continue to be healthy. Yes. Dang it! Um, but yeah, no, that's a great point. Well, um, what b- before we before we close out, Rochelle? What would you say would be maybe the first step that that as practitioners we should take to investigate the probability of starting to use LAS? Um, well, I, I would encourage researching to become comfortable on the dosing and. Um, you know, obviously we want to, you know, we, we pick a med individualized to the patient's experience and what they've tried and failed. Um, but mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. really there's two main ones that if you can really get familiar with Abilify and Invega and start there and just, um, do your research. If you feel comfortable, the reps are more than happy to, share information on it, of course. Um, but they have valid information and tricks, like you said, um, and they're a great resource, but, but there's a lot of other resources out there. Um, and then as far as learning, if you start Abilify, um, antenna that you want to have them take the oral Abilify for 10 days, I kind of do a little bit longer just so that gets yeah. in their system. Mm-hmm. But Aristata, which is mm-hmm. um, the two months, that actually has an initio where you give in the injection initio that gives them a bump of the med. And then also you give it so they get two injections and then the long acting. So then you can skip that part. So it's just really learning the nuances. As long as you know that but they don't yeah, have sensitivities. If, they, if they've to tried Aripiprazole yeah. yeah. and not had an allergic reaction, and your clinical judgment, you know, I don't want to negate the clinical judgment. So that's a given that you use your clinical judgment <laughs> and don't, judge, yeah. you know, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, 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 it's a very, fairly simple process. Um, but it's just getting comfortable with it. Well, Rochelle, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast, um, and sharing us your personal experience and, and that of your son, as well as your knowledge as a practitioner on on LAIs. I, well, I thanks really for having appreciate me. It. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for this episode of Psych NP Cast. We'll see you in our next episode. 
Don't forget to tell your friends, and in whatever podcast system you're in, don't forget to rate us. That helps us get found by other psych NPs. We'll see you next time.